It's midday here on this Friday, September 10th. Tyler Cavalli with you. We have another terrific show on tap as we have all morning so far. Jason Jorgensen is in a preview of sports. Another busy one. High school football obviously on the horizon tonight. Week 3 action and uh, Huskers and Lopers playing college football action tomorrow as well. Bob Rogan will be in for stock, so tell us how they're performing as we end this week. And uh, again, Paul is out today. One final day. He'll be back on Monday. But uh, I'll give you an idea of what we can expect for our weekend ag weather and how that's affecting maybe early harvest. That's coming up in about 15 minutes. But let's head over to Lincoln and our office innovation campus. Our own Susan Littlefield is there. Susan, how are you doing this morning? I am doing well. I understand that you have a, a terrific interview coming up for us uh, tomorrow. Is that correct? Yeah, I do. You know, uh, former Governor Dave Heineman stopped by here this morning, and he and I sat down to kind of look at 9-11, remembering what, what, what it was like 20 years ago, where he was at on that day, and really how things really got reshaped as we look at things today. It was a, it was a great interview. Uh, the video, if you cannot wait until tomorrow, the video of our interview is already posted on our website, and folks can go check that out. Mm, okay, we will look forward to that. Again, we will air that coming up tomorrow before pregame for the Husker football uh, contest right here on 880KRVN. Uh, should be great stuff overall. But what do you have coming up for us today? Well, we'll kick it off. It is a Friday, so we're going to find out weather-wise what's going on with Al Dutcher, and hopefully he's giving us a really good weather forecast going into Husker Harvest Days next week. And then coming up, we will also have the opportunity to uh, look at the midday, talking with Jordan Ducks. Everybody knows about that Build Better plan that has been put in place by the president. He'll talk more about that and what the effects are going to have on agriculture. And then Chabelle will wrap up everything with the FNBO Fridays in the Field as we talk about prep for harvest on the western side of the state. Okay, a lot of good stuff coming up. We appreciate it. We look forward to your interview tomorrow, and have a great day and a great weekend. Thanks so much. You too. All right, that's Susan Littlefield on the eastern side of Nebraska. Let's catch up with Jason Jorgensen in sports. Hey, thanks, Tyler. Here's what's coming up in sports. We'll preview Nebraska's matchup tomorrow with Buffalo. The Bulls will come in with an interesting team that's had plenty of success in recent years, even though they've gone through a coaching change. Also, a big game tomorrow night for the UNK football squad. They are on the road at 24th-ranked Pittsburgh State. UNK is looking for its first back-to-back wins over the Gorillas since the 1980s. Also, UNK hasn't won back-to-back games in Pittsburgh since the early 70s. And it's rivalry night around here, but the two games will have. On Kimmy Country, Amherst will host Elm Creek, and on 880-KRVN, Southern Valley will be at home against Cambridge. So all of that and much more coming up in sports. Very good stuff. Appreciate it. Thank you very much, Jason. Let's turn things over to Bob Brogan. How are stocks looking at the end of the week? They are kind of mixed right now. Um, although they were inching up earlier, but not enough to erase the market's losses uh, this week, a holiday-shortened week. So we're watching that situation. Inflation at the wholesale level climbed about 8.3% last month from August 2020, and that was a pretty good good gain since the uh, uh, Labor Department started calculating the 12-month number in 2010. Those are some of the things that we're keeping an eye on um, as we uh, round out this week. All right. Thank you very much. A lot of great content coming up for you here on Midday. In the meantime, let's now flip things over. Thanks.
It's time for Regional Ag Weather Update brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. Tyler Cavalli filling in for Paul Perkins. He'll be back in the studio starting next week. Well, the ridge of high pressure is drifting a little to the east and would expect temperatures to be a little warmer because of that. Temperatures are expected to be higher today and smoke unfortunately could cause temps to be slightly lower than expected by only a few degrees in some regions, but also smoke will be more prevalent in certain regions, especially in our western half of our listening area. Tonight into tomorrow, the upper level ridge will continue to drift to the east and temperatures will be warm for tomorrow as well. Tonight, a surface low will develop to the west-northwest of the forecasted area and start to move into the north on Saturday afternoon. Drier weather will continue through the day tomorrow, but as an upper-level wave moves into Saturday evening, there will be a small chance for some showers and thunderstorms Saturday night into Sunday morning. But most of that activity will be in Nebraska, not really anticipating much severe activity, but we'll certainly keep an eye on it. Otherwise, drier and weather and warmer weather conditions across much of the United States and improving conditions across South America are the weather, weather factors holding the market's attention on this Friday. Conditions are improving for dry down and early harvest of corn and soybeans in the Midwest. While systems will pass through the region during the next couple of weeks, showers will be more limited, scattered, and light for the most part unless a front stalls in the region. Soil moisture is still favorable for winter wheat planting and establishment. Now, recent rainfall in Kansas will be good for winter wheat planting and establishment, but sporadic drought has been popping up around the region lately, and more showers will be necessary to end it. Drier conditions and hot weather during the next week will benefit dry down of corn and soybeans and early harvest. Meanwhile, recent showers in the northern plains have put a dent in the ongoing drought, but it still remains throughout the region. A few systems will pass through during the next 10 days, but shower chances will be lower and more scattered. This will favor dry down and early harvest of corn and soybeans, but the drought does not look to get wiped out anytime soon for the northern plains. Meanwhile, dry weather is expected in the Delta during the next week, favoring maturing soybeans and cotton. Showers may start to pop back up toward the middle of next week. The tropical depression Mindy brought some moderate to heavy rains to the southeast this week that may have caused some damage to up open cotton bowls. Drier weather during the next several days should help these areas recover. And the eastern Black Sea, drier condition in that region this week at favoring dry down of summer crops and planting of winter wheat. Soil moisture in Ukraine is much better than in Russia, especially in the Volga Valley, where drier conditions during the summer have limited soil moisture for winter wheat establishment. Some isolated showers will be possible uh, during the weekend into early next week, but no significant widespread showers are forecasted in the next days or the next 10 days in the eastern Black Sea area. For southern Brazil, a system has been producing scattered showers across the southern Brazil region this week, and some of those showers have even developed over Mato Grosso. But the start to the wet season is still a couple of weeks away in central Brazil. Winter wheat is seeing improved conditions as it gets further into reproduction and fill, while some full-season corn is being planted. Soybeans are restricted from planting for another few days, so the showers coming to southern areas will benefit soils before planting begins. And finally, in the Argentina region, a system brought helpful showers for developing to reproductive winter wheat in Argentina this week. Soils still need more moisture for soybean and corn planting. More showers are expected to develop this weekend into early 
next week. Now, again, looking ahead to this weekend, tomorrow, it's going to be a warm one. Some areas are going to see upper 90s to low 100s, especially on the eastern half of our listing area in Nebraska and Kansas. Sunday, things will step back a little bit. We'll get more seasonal weather temperatures expect somewhere in the 80s across much of the region. Meanwhile, on this Friday, most of us will see 90s, if not the western half of our listing area, will see low 100s. For a full weather forecast, not for only today, but for the entire weekend, just visit krvn.com. Zero one. Chad Moyer with you here on the Rural Radio Network. It is time for our weekly conversation with Nebraska's ag climatologist, Al Dutcher. Al, thanks for joining us again here today. Well, uh, it's been a pretty pleasant week. A little bit of heat here at the end of the week, but uh, overall not too bad. What's in the forecast for Nebraska for the next week? Well, it looks like we're going to go through a roller coaster. We've, we've seen some cooler temperatures come in, although even though they were cooler, we were really basically in eastern Nebraska, right around normal, much warmer in western Nebraska. We had some dry air earlier in the week, and now we're going to start to see that ridge from the west build in rapidly before trough comes across the northern plains. So that means today and tomorrow are likely to be a little bit more toastier than we've experienced the last few days. Probably looking at widespread low 90s across the state today as that ridge starts to build in going to have a little bit more of a southerly component to our wind, so it's going to see our dew point temperatures come up. And during the overnight hours, of course, that's going to keep our low minimums, minimum temperatures up in the mid to upper 60s, particularly across the southeastern part of the state. And that ridge basically sits right over top of us as we go in, or the top of the ridge sits over us as we go into tomorrow. And I expect to see very warm conditions, and, and the temperatures just seem to keep creeping up in terms of the forecast. But I think we're going to see widespread upper 90s, at least south of the Interstate 80 region. And I imagine that some areas of south central and possibly even southwest Nebraska will breach the 100-degree mark. So we probably will see a few individual daily records set now as we go through the overnight hours into Sunday, that trough is across the northern plains is going to press the jet stream just a little bit farther toward the south. So we'll see some cooler air work in as we go in through Sunday. It does not appear at this point in time that we will see much of any precipitation across the state. I think it'll stay to the north of us. Maybe northeast Nebraska might get a brief shower out of it on the tail end of the frontal boundary. We start to see that t- the jet stream lift a little bit back to the north. So as we go into Monday, this is the uncertainty in the forecast in terms of temperatures is how much warmth will build back in, but we possibly could be south of the Interstate 80 region, push back up into the low 90s with probably mid-80s up into the northern part of the state. And then as we approach, of course, Husker Harvest Days, we're going to have a cold front moving through the state as another upper air trough moves across the northern plains. Right now, the the numerical models are indicating fairly dry conditions for the western half of the state. A little bit more uncertainty as we get into the eastern half of the state. There is a chance of moisture, but at least from the GFS model standpoint keeps most of the convergence along that front really south of a a line from Omaha Lincoln to Hebron and I suspect that the best opportunity would be across southeastern Nebraska extreme southeastern Nebraska for precipitation gives us a couple cool days with those temperatures coming in, we're going to move back into the upper 70s, low low 80s in central Nebraska during Husker harvest days. We might start to see a little bit of warm-up as we get into Thursday and Friday of next week as that trough pushes to the east. The ridge will build back in, but we have another trough that is expected to move in 
late next week into next weekend across the northern plains, and this one has a pretty good punch of cold air behind it. We're likely to see some precipitation with that front, although there's still some uncertainty, but we should see our temperatures basically as we get the second half of the weekend start to fall, and we might not even break out of the mid-60 range across northern Nebraska with this colder air coming in. Again, short-lived event couple days and then we start to see a warming trend as the next ridge builds in and another trough approaches from the west and that one looks like it's going to make its way into our region around the 27th and right now the GFS is pulling a tremendous volume of cold air. So overall we're transitioning to a fall pattern outside of a few chances of showers Monday night into Tuesday morning. It looks like a fairly dry forecast at least for the Husker harvest days. Again we've been visiting with Nebraska ag climatologist Al Dutcher here on the Rural Radio Network. Chad Moyer reporting. Here's Jason. Hey, thanks. Well, Nebraska's back at home tomorrow when they host Buffalo. Despite the Bulls going through a coaching change this offseason, head coach Scott Frost is concerned about what kind of team they're bringing to Lincoln. Well, their kids know how to win. Um, you know, they played in for a conference championship last year. I think they got talent. Uh, you know, watch their defense more than their offense. They, they've got good pass rushers, all-conference linebackers, good guys up front, and, and some fast guys in the back. Um, they're very sound in their scheme, very aggressive in their scheme. Um, and they looked really well coached. And, you know, they looked like world beaters in, in game one. Now, Buffalo started off its year by blowing out Wagner. Kickoff tomorrow set for 2.30. We will bring you the game here on 880-KRVN, 106.9 in Kearney, and 98.5 in Grand Island. Tomorrow night, the UNK football squad is on the road at 24th-ranked Pittsburgh State. The Lopers are looking for their first back-to-back wins over the Gorillas since the early 1980s. Kickoff tomorrow night is set for 7, and we will bring you the game on 93.1 The River and 106.9 at Kearney. You also can listen in on the River app. An MIAA action last night, Fort Hayes State fell to 0-2 on the season, losing a wild one to Missouri Western, 38-31. Well, the Amherst football squad has started this year 1-1, nearly losing to Cambridge last week, 32-31. Head coach Farron Klingenhofer points to his big offensive and defensive lines as two of their strengths. It's always nice to have have bigger guys up front. And one thing I will say about our guys up front is for being, you know, bigger guys, 200-pound range and up, uh, they move well. So when you get that com- combination of size um, and also speed and agility, um, that, that can really help you out up front, both defensively and offensively. Now their opponent tonight is Elm Creek, who comes in 0-2. They were in the state quarterfinals a year ago. They're guided by new head coach Josh Rodium. He says despite a couple of setbacks, it's been a smooth coaching transition. The culture at Elm Creek that I came into, a lot of it aligns with what I believe. So I don't feel like it was a difficult transition. You know, the success they've had, it wasn't something I had to come in and blow up and do all kinds of new things. I just had to build off of what Elm Creek does great and then take my strengths and, you know, hopefully build it up more. Kickoff at Amherst between the Broncos and the Buffaloes is set for tonight at 7. We will bring it to you on Kimmy Country here on 880KRVN Southern Valley. We'll host Cambridge. UNK volleyball team will be busy today and tomorrow as part of the Rosella Meyer Fall Classic. In just a little bit, they'll play Southern Nazarene at 12.30. Tonight at 7, they take on Shadron State. Tomorrow afternoon, they have a matchup at 4 with West Texas A&M. And the women's soccer team, who is 1-1 one one of the year, they're hosting Northwest Oklahoma State this afternoon at 2. That is a look at sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. I'm Jason Jorgensen.
319 new cases of COVID-19 were reported by Two Rivers Public Health Department in the seven-county region it serves for the week of September 3rd through the 9th. Two Rivers calculates the daily rate of new infections by looking at the average number of newly confirmed cases in the last seven days per 100,000 residents. The seven-day rolling averages for this week include Buffalo County 51.1, Dawson County 47.2, Franklin County zero daily cases, Gosper County 79, Harlan County 16.9, Kearney County 24.2, and Phelps County 42.7. Nebraska lawmakers who are redrawing the state's political boundaries settled on two sets of congressional and legislative maps yesterday and braced for a wave of criticism that's expected next week when they present the proposal to the public. Members of the redistricting committee endorsed both sets as a compromise between Republican lawmakers who favor one and Democrats who prefer the other. Eventually, committee members will have to vote on a single plan to submit to the full legislature. Senator Justin Wayne, the leading Democrat on the committee, says lawmakers have no choice but to find a compromise because lawmakers are constitutionally required to redraw the maps every decade. An Omaha-area gymnastics coach has been arrested and charged with two counts of sexually assaulting a child. Police say 30-year-old Alexander Thomas was arrested Wednesday and booked into the Sarpy County Jail in Papillion. Investigators say Thomas was a coach at Metro Stars Gymnastics in Papillion when he assaulted a student younger than 14 at that location sometime in January. A judge on Thursday set Thomas's bail at $250,000. Metro Star's officials say they learned the charges Wednesday and immediately fired Thomas. He had coached at the Papillion location for four years. Metro Star's sent an email to customers Wednesday asking families to report any concerns to the Sarpy County Sheriff's Office. Hastings Public Schools is one of the 2021 recipients of the Governor's Grower Wellness Award. Terry Julian, technology facilitator, and Lawrence Tunks, director of learning, took part in the recognition virtually Thursday from the school's administration building, while Governor Pete Ricketts and Dr. Gary Antone, the state's chief medical officer, participated from the governor's hearing room at the state capitol. Dunk says the pandemic prompted the schools to incorporate mental health into the school's wellness program. We also implemented a program we called Ask a Therapist, in which we were able to secure licensed mental health practitioners uh, to be more available for our staff members throughout our buildings where they can go to them. They could ask questions um, and get support that way as well. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Elton. More and more talk is happening on Build Back Better and the agenda coming from the Biden administration. But what does that mean for agriculture? Hi, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. I talked this week with Jordan Ducks. He's the Nebraska Farm Bureau's Director of National Affairs to talk about how this breaks down and affects those in the ag industry. It is, um, and it's it's unfortunate. Now there are some. I mean, depending upon what piece you look at, when they you have the Senate that that carved out specifically 
an infrastructure package that we were very supportive of, and we were very happy to see Senator Fisher support that. Things in there that were part of the president's agenda when it relates to uh, roads and bridges funding, as it relates to um, you know by, uh, uh, broadband, rural broadband access expansion, and some of those types of things. That is that that's fantastic. That's fundamental pieces of government to actually provide some infrastructure spending, and those were a part of the president's uh, piece. And again, I mean we. Very supportive of that package. Very good on the standalone package. It's not perfect, but it is. It's a solid bill, and we were appreciative of, of Senator Fisher's support of that. At the same time, you have the other pieces of the president's agenda, where it gets into a lot of social engineering by the federal government of massive boosts to in, to, to programs across the board. Um, you know, you see talk of ridiculously large boosts to conservation spending. Um, you know, what does that mean for the next farm bill? There's a lot of those moving pieces. And then at the same time, where agriculture really, in our mind, gets uh, hit very, very hard is on the pay-fors. And they plan to pay for this expansion of the federal government by eliminating, by increasing taxes on corporate entities, which there are still plenty of farms and ranches uh, that are still organized as C-Corps, who would see a tax increase, who actually got um, you know, all the talk about a tax cut across the board um, in the Republican tax package several years ago. Actually, farms organized as C-Corps, many of them actually saw a tax increase. It was simpler, but, but they actually saw a tax increase. So then you tack on another tax increase um, by increasing the corporate tax rate. That's really problematic for us. And then outside of that piece, you have the elimination of stepped-up basis and the elimination of 1031 exchanges. Both lead to an increase in capital gains taxes. Both limit the ability of farmers and ranchers to essentially operate the organ- their, their, their farm and ranch the way they'd like to. Stepped-up basis specifically as it relates to the ability of farmers and ranchers to pass that operation down to the next generation without a tax consequence. These operations that Number one, have paid all their taxes that they were that they were legally required to pay in Nebraska, uh, where they've paid property taxes that have probably paid for that farmer ranch several times over. And then the federal government wants to uh, hit them with a capital gains tax when they pass that farm or ranch down, um, you know, to the tune of 30, maybe 40 percent. That that's 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 ridiculous. In our mind, that comes down to, um, frankly, uh, comes down to to government sanctioned theft of, of property simply because a person dies. Death should not become a taxable event. Um, and so the elimination of stepped up basis, the proposed elimination of stepped up basis, and trying to throw that in as just you know we're we're just keeping the wealthy wealthy, uh, it ignores the complicated nature, the complicated tax structure of farms and ranches, and it really is is something that we we very much so oppose. And it's disappointing the administration still appears. Uh, to be pushing down that path. And then lastly, 1031 exchanges, the elimination of that. It's the ability of, of anyone to take a piece of property, sell it, and then purchase another piece of property um, of, a, of an equal value without facing you know, uh, capital gains consequences. So if I'm a farmer, I've got a piece of ground that's next to me um, that comes up for sale, I'd maybe rather buy that piece of property and sell one that I have that several miles away. Uh, and so I can make that exchange without a tax consequence. That's just good business sense. That that just makes sense. There's no reason why that, that type of item or that type of sale, that transaction should be taxed. Um, and so we, we have pretty severe problems with the elimination of 1031 exchanges as well. So 
So look at this from a from a college kid who's just yeah. got his degree, wants to come home, wants to either begin farming, farm alongside, or take over a family operation. It's a, that's a great that's a great example and a great question, Susan, because the problem comes down into that next generation. Um, you know, their ability to work alongside, and it's this is not an uncommon story in, in agriculture where you have a young a young person that comes, it becomes a part of the organiz, uh, part of the operation, builds it a little bit larger, is a part of that, but they really don't reap the benefits of their hard work. They get paid, but most of the time, the benefits come after the death of the. Uh, the parent or the grandparent that owns that piece of property. They wait to kind of get their piece of it. They build in the equity in the organization into the operation, and then they are rewarded later on with that operation once that person passes away. This puts a major wrinkle into that and creates a major problem into that where you're going to have young people who spend a lot of time building up equity, building up the farm and ranch operation, and then they're going to get hit with a 20, 30, 40% tax once that, once that property is on, on the gain and value of that property. As Jordan Ducks with the Nebraska Farm Bureau. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Stocks were inching higher on Wall Street earlier today, but not enough to erase the market's losses in this holiday-shortened week. With the Business Report, I'm Bob Brogan. Technology companies were among the biggest gainers in the early going. The S&P 500 was up one-tenth of a percent, but it's still down nine-tenths of a percent for the week. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was down two-tenths of a percent, and the Nasdaq Composite was up three-tenths of a percent. Right now, the Dow, the NASDAQ, and the S&P 500 are nearly unchanged. Inflation at the wholesale level climbed 8.3% last month from August 2020, the biggest annual gain since the Labor Department started calculating the 12-month number in 2010. The Labor Department says its producer price index, which measures inflationary pressures before they reach consumers, rose 7 tenths percent last month, after increasing 1% in both June and July. Inflation has been stirring as the economy recovers from last year's brief but intense coronavirus recession. Supply chain bottlenecks and a shortage of workers have pushed prices higher. Larger U.S. businesses won't have to decide whether to require their employees to get vaccinated against COVID-19. It's now federal policy, although some important details remain to be worked out. President Joe Biden announced sweeping new orders yesterday, requiring employers with more than 100 workers to mandate immunizations or offer weekly testing. The order also requires large companies to provide paid time off for vaccination. A think tank says the government will likely face an unprecedented default on its debt obligations between mid-October and mid-November, seconding a warning earlier this week from the Treasury. The Bipartisan Policy Center today that Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen will run out of maneuvering room to avoid hitting the debt limit if Congress does not act, and that will occur a couple of weeks after the start of the new budget year on October 1st. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm... Welcome to this week's Fridays in the Field, brought to you by FNBO, the great big small bank. We're out in Scotts Bluff for our final chat with Jason Harriman, a farmer who grows corn, soybeans, alfalfa, and then other forage crops for their cattle herd. Jason, tell us first off, how did the season go for you? 
Season's gone pretty well. Um, you know, for being hot and dry, uh, right after we got done planting, uh, it was kind of fast and furious to get irrigation going. Season went by pretty quick, uh, but things look good. Uh, things, uh, I think, are early. Um, sure show early. So we have continue to have this heat uh, right now. Uh, it's probably going to be an early harvest for some of these crops. So. Jason, along with the heat, what were some of the biggest challenges for you and farmers out here in the Panhandle? Water was the biggest challenge, uh, keeping things wet, uh, trying to keep that profile uh, built up. Um, that was the hardest part, um, and timing was a big thing, uh, you know, early on, uh, I think, for us. But uh, I think for us, the biggest factor was, uh, was the hot and dry summer um, and just trying to keep things irrigated. I know. I heard from a lot of farmers that water has been a big concern all summer. Since the Bureau of Reclamation put out an allocation on irrigators along the North Platte River system. So with all of that, how is harvest looking for your fields? Harvest is is going to be, I think some of this corn um, is going to be early like it has been last year and the year before. Um, you know, things are really starting to dry down now. Uh, you know, we're past dent now and uh, the water's out of the ditch. Uh, guys are combining dry beans already. Um, and with the weather looking like the way it is, uh, you know, there'll probably be... I don't know if we'll do any high moisture stuff. It's a possibility. We'll see how it goes. But uh, I bet you by first of next month, we'll be probably dipping in into some of the early planted corn. So, Jason, how about the soybeans? How did the watering go, and how are they doing for harvest? On our soybeans this year, we're half half pivots, and then the other half is under gravity. So, um, but a soybean is kind of a lot like corn. Um, you know, needs needs a little water early. Soybeans are tracking really nice. Um, I bet you here in another 15 days, uh, we'll probably be cutting some. Um, with the heat the way it's been uh, this past couple weeks uh, and the water going out, um, I would say, yeah, in the next 10 to 15 days, we'll probably have a field or two that maybe might be close to being ready. So uh, end of the month will be a busy time for combine and soybeans for us. Okay, so the soybeans are a bit later than the dry beans, but you have an elevator that takes the soybeans right here, right? They go here uh, locally in town to Crossroads. Uh, Shane over there has been working with us, and uh, they'll go right here. Um, so, uh, yeah, don't have to haul them very far. Uh, if we want to, we can put some in the bin, but I think this year, the way price is, uh, they're just all going to go to town and uh, sell them over the scale. Now, Jason, you and your family also have some cattle. Will you be saving some of the corn you raised for winter feed? Uh, we keep a little bit back, um, not very much, uh, just a little bit. Um, but, uh, you know, corn price looks good. Uh, so most of that will probably won't set on too much of the corn this year. Thanks, Jason, for letting us follow you around this summer. Good luck with the harvest. I'm Tramella Guzman with the Rural Radio Network, and you've been listening to Fridays in the Field, brought to you by FNDO, the great big small bank. Highway use.
Play Patton on the World Radio Network. Let's check in on the closing grain trade now with Senior Marketing Analyst of Daniel Zag Marketing. That is John Payne. And John, appreciate you talking with us this afternoon. Coming into the settlements, a good day for corn and soybeans. Given the fact, though, we still increased acreage for corn and we increased yields for corn and soybeans, what do you make of the WASDE report? By the rumors, all the facts, you know, or the opposite, I guess, in this case. Uh, we got a little bit of an acreage hike. I, I don't think it was close to where, where we were reading yesterday or two days ago when the, that report leaked. So I'm not sure exactly what happened with that. I'd love to do some research into that, who and, how, who and why and how that got out. But uh, it wasn't wasn't really re- relative. So I think the market went down, traded sub-5 for, what, two minutes, and then essentially screamed higher. Beans never really went down. Uh, all in all, I'd say it's a supportive report for price. Uh, I think the break we've seen, I, you know, given the volume at the bottom there, I think we, you know, decent shot. I hate calling lows, but uh, that was a, that was a good thing to see here. So, short term, I look for prices to probably bounce into Monday. Um, you know, watch what happens here with um, with the grain stocks at the end of September, and then kind of go from there into, into the Brazilian growing season. So, it's a game plan at this point. I think uh, all in all for a week, uh, big volatility moves, but uh, end up right back to where we started essentially. And when we look here at the soybeans as well, November goes, tests $13, then backs away. Is $13 going to be a critical price point to be able to get over? Oh, I, I think today, you know, just based off what I'm hearing uh, in volume and different people like that, it was so easy to go out and buy those cheap $5 puts in corn and the same $13 calls in, in beans. And I think, you know, the volatility, like I said, if you started the week, you know, you and I, I think was talked earlier this week about the break-even and the over-under on what, you know what the weekly range will be. It, it left the weekly range of the, from Sunday night for a short period of time. But if you look back to where we ended up, it was, it was right where we started. Uh, in the case of beans, you know maybe a little bit higher. In the case of wheat, I think a little bit lower. Uh, Minneapolis specifically, but all in all, I think you, you're going to see some of these markets consolidate that we've seen rally. In the case that case, wheat, and I think the the uh, support has kind of been found in markets like corn and soybeans. And um, you know I think that now going forward, it's a, it's about inflation data and kind of what the money is going to do. Uh, you know, ninety million or ninety billion dollars in asset purchases every month is going to support assets. It's going to do it. So, corn, in my opinion, isn't a sell. It's only a sell to essentially function as a form of payment and uh, not as an investment. I think at this point, you'll see funds stay along, uh, given where where interest rates are. That is John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago. Learn more, danielzagmarketing.com. Do remember, though, that trading futures options of all risk of loss may not be suitable for all investors. Consider these risks before investing. Thank you, Clay. That will wrap up midday here on this Friday, September 10th. Of course, you can catch the midday podcast not only from today, but the entire week and month so far. That can be found at krvn.com, or you can also find it on iTunes or Spotify. Got some more responses. Again, we've had almost 400 responses on our KRVN Facebook page. We're asking you, the listener, uh, to go back into your, your, your brain there and, and just think about your memories of 9-11-2001, how you found out, where you found out, what your thought process were, um, and whether you were a kid, uh, you know, a grown-up, or, or whatever it may be, we're asking that you share your story 
And again, we've got some great ones so far. Here's a couple more. Again, we encourage you to keep responding at the KRVN Facebook page. Amy says she was getting ready to help her husband do some fencing. She says she remembers being torn because she wanted to continue to watch TV and see what was happening. She said they turned tuned into the radio and both said that they were glad that they lived in the boondocks and away from any big towns. I'm sure a lot of you probably thought that. Lorna said, sitting in English class, they looked out the door to see their superintendent running up the stairs. He was stopping at all the rooms, telling everyone what was going on and telling the teachers to turn their TVs on. He said that history is happening right now and these kids need to see it. We all saw the plane hit the second tower and each tower collapse. Interesting. Good for that superintendent. Uh, Something that uh, I'll agree with him. That's probably good stuff for history. It is history. And, uh, you know, have to understand what's going on. Uh, Kimberly said, at grade school in a music class, uh, all the parents came and picked them up. It was a confusing day because they didn't really understand what was going on and felt bad for uh, the brother because it was his birthday. And uh, Audrey said she was about ready to leave for work and at first thought it was happening in another country. So she turned the volume up on the TV then realized it was happening here. About that time, she said she saw the second plane hit, felt physically sick, and prayed. It, that's understandably so uh, in terms of thinking it is a different country, just how uh, you, you don't see that. Or you didn't see that really to that point in the United States. But uh, again, we are asking that you uh, tell us your memory, your story of what you were doing on 9-11-2001 when you heard the that America was under attack. And we've had almost 400 responses. We encourage you to let us know. Also, call us here at the studio, 844-880-0880, or uh, tweet at us at uh, Radio Cavalli or at KRVM. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, it's